I'll just pray with me. Dear Lord God, we know that there is nothing we can say, nothing that we can do. We have nothing to offer you, Lord God. So we do bring our hearts before you tonight. We pray that you'll speak to them anew. And we pray that as we hear your word and uh, the message preached to us, that um, our hearts will be refreshed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is Chanel here? No Chanel? <laughs> what are we reading, Daryl? <laughs> okay, no worries. I'll get my I'll get I'll get my crying kid. <laughs> no, I don't know. Before I read God's word and pray, get this out of the road. 16 years ago, 2003, when I came to this church and when I was inducted on a Sunday morning, I think it was the end of May, David Loder was the guy, he was the uh, General Superintendent of Queensland Baptist and he uh, conducted that service and then during the service he asked me some questions and he said the most important question I'm now going to ask and everything will hinge upon this, which is the most important, blue or maroon? To which I said, blue because I'm from New South Wales. <clears throat> and at that point, I'm not sure if it was orchestrated or not, but Warren Rain came forward with a maroon shirt on a coat hanger. And uh, I had to wear that uh, each time we had a state of origin. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. What I will do is I'll wear it every time Queensland wins. <laughs> not sure if you heard about the, the state disaster that happened last Wednesday night. Terrible, isn't it? 16 years. This is my third maroon shirt because I've had to wear it that many times. <laughs> I've worn it out. And then during the week, Tony Paddock. Cal, he here tonight? Yes, she is. You can take this home to Dad. He turned up in my office and he had this on it. And if you can, you can see that. It says morons and on this side it says... <laughs> You know the best comeback to that that I've ever received? Josh Sipple tonight. I said, why does it say morons on that? And he said, typical New South Wales people can't spell. <laughs> it's a good comeback, isn't it? Anyway, if somebody got a camera or a phone or something, please take a photo very quickly. And I'm taking this off. Thank you, sweetheart. Did you take it? Can I take it off? Good. Done. And I don't want that up here as a distraction, so... Can you give it to Kelly over there? Can you take it home tonight to Dad? Because they're away this weekend, aren't they? I think so. That would be terrific. Thanks, Trace. Tonight we come to an end of a series, a three-week series, and I want to read to you uh, two passages. I'll read firstly from John chapter 5. And we're going to begin at verse 24 and go down for half a dozen verses or so this is the Lord Jesus who was speaking and he says very truly I tell you whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
And he is given authority to judge um, because he is the son of man. Don't be amazed at this, for time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, the Lord Jesus says, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The Lord Jesus in this passage is talking about... um, a dimension of existence that we as, well, certainly as people, but as, as followers of the Lord Jesus, we need to have this perspective on our existence. He talks about if you believe in him, you have eternal life already and you will not be judged in terms of being condemned of eternal judgment and excluded from God's presence. He says uh, a time is coming and is now here when... Um, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And initially, the Lord Jesus means those who are spiritually dead will hear his voice. And they'll come to, they'll have a spiritual resurrection. They'll come to believe. They will come to understand who Jesus is and respond to it. But then he goes on to talk about, but there is also a time coming in the future when everybody who was in the grave, now he's talking about physically, will hear his voice. And they will come out. There will be a resurrection. Uh, Those who have done what is good, generally speaking, will rise to life, one resurrection. But those who have done what is wrong, what is evil, will rise, second resurrection, to be condemned, uh, the Lord Jesus says. So we're going to talk about that tonight. We've been working through a series in the book of Hebrews at the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. And in that passage, the author is very keen for, he's writing to a group of followers of the Lord Jesus who um, have left Judaism, have left the the rituals and the temple and the priesthood and all of their traditions and they've walked away from that or they're in the process of doing so in following Jesus and they are second guessing. They're being, they're questioning and they're being, I guess, persuaded by others to go back that the Judaism, the Old Testament, is the true and only way that we should serve and follow God. And so that means rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And some of them are struggling with this. And the author writes to them and says, you've heard this passage, this is Hebrews 5. Jeff, if you want to throw this up, verse 11 and following. He says, we have much to say to you, but it's hard to be clear uh, to you because you no longer try to understand. You've... You know, you've half given up. You've become dull and lazy. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you should be discipling others and discipling them and teaching others, you need someone to teach you, again, the elementary truths of God's word. You've got to go back to the ABCs. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Not, you know, infants don't study trigonometry and don't do HSE exams. They're not at that level. But solid food is for those who are mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So let's do that, he says. Let's try and move on from the basics. Let's embrace who Jesus is and let's move on to some deeper spiritual truth to, towards maturity. And he says, not laying again a foundation, and then he gives six points. There is a foundation for these ex-Jewish 
followers, now Jewish Christians, there is a foundation of belief which is also true for us as we understand them. He says, not again laying a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith in God, of baptisms or instructions about ritual rites, about the laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Tonight we come to those final two. The first four of those, if you look at them carefully, are to do with this life. We've looked at those over the last two weeks. Repentance and faith in God. It's the beginning of the gospel. That's what everybody needs. You need to change your mind about sin and about God and about your relationship with him. And you need to, that change of mind leads to a change of action and exercise trust and faith in God. Once you've done that, once you've become a follower of Jesus, then you also experience baptism, outward water baptism, which is an act of obedience, but also inward spirit baptism, where you receive the spirit as you repent and believe in him. But there is also an ongoing experience of a baptism of the spirit, which is this infilling for service, which is where laying on of hands comes in. The Old Testament was laying hands on an animal and transferring your sin. In this case, it's laying hands on people and the Spirit of God ministering through you, whether it's healing or commissioning or the impartation of whatever things God... It's being open to the Spirit and following Him. That's the first four. Repent, believe, be baptised and receive the Spirit and then be open to serving Him. And then he says there are two other basic elements of followers of the Lord Jesus. And it's not to do with this life, it's to do with the next life. There is a next life. And as Christians, we need to always maintain that perspective. This life is not it. This is not a trial run, but it is temporary. And that there is another life after death. Death is not the end. Death is the end of this life. But it's the entry into eternity. Eternity is a concept that we cannot comprehend. We are space-time creatures. We live in this time dimension. We are used to it. We can't think outside of it. We can't comprehend outside of it. We have a past. We have a present. There is a future. But God is the divine creator who lives outside of time. He's not bound by time. He's not in time. He's outside of time. But he can enter into time because he is the divine Lord. And so he, at some point in eternity past, eternity is not extended time. Eternity is simply a permanent present. There is no past. There is no future. It's present. It's now, perpetually. It's incomprehensible. But that's the mode of existence that God lives in. He is the eternal I am, present. And out of that eternal presence, at some point in the past, God made space, time, and history. Matter and energy came into being, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And at some point in the future, God is going to reverse that. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, but time is not going to be part of it. It's going to be an eternal present still with matter and energy. Different laws, as you read the book of Revelation. If you take it literally, then there won't be a sun, there won't be a moon, and there won't be a sea. There's something different about it. Still physical, but incorruptible. 
So that's the issue, some of the issues we want to talk about tonight. Before I jump into some of that, um, let me pray and then let me share this. Let's pray. Father, think of your word. These are truths that we would have no idea about if you hadn't have told us. And they're basic and essential. They're foundational that we might order our lives aright. We thank you for your communication, your revelation to us. Could you help us to understand it and its implication for us that we might live lives that please you and that honour you as we seek to follow the Lord Jesus and learn more and more about him. Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Growing up is normal and natural, isn't it? Kids grow. I'm a grandfather. I was insulted yesterday. I was in Woolworths shopping. And this lady, these little, she had three little kids with her. And uh, they wanted to buy, there's a toy section. And the little kids wanted to buy a toy. And I'm standing behind her. And I, so I just said to her, I'll go on, Mum. Buy them. She's saying, no, we've just had Kentucky Fried. No, you don't need this. I said, Mum, come on. They're only little kids. Come on fight for them she turned around and she looked at me and she was terrific because she eventually said to the kid she said your new grandfather will buy these for you <laughs> I said to Rhonda she just insulted me she called me a grandfather how old do I look <laughs> to which Rhonda said as old as a grandfather anyway why did I share that not sure oh growing <laughs> growing is a normal natural part of life I have three granddaughters and I could talk about them all night and not do what I'm supposed to do. But the youngest one is Marnie and she's, uh, what's she now, 16 months, something like 17, whatever, round about that. She can't speak yet, but she has got sounds and she can communicate. She's becoming very strong-willed and quite independent, which is payback really to my daughter. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> More of it, please, for her. And I've been teaching her things that not overly helpful. <clears throat> One of the things I taught her was to do this. Well, I'm trying to teach her to do that. She can't do it. She does this. <laughs> so I keep saying, mm. and then I up at a few other levels and, and so on. It's delightful to watch her learn. She absorbs information. She's a very bright little kid. All, all of my grandchildren are very bright, <laughs> as yours are. It's a, they just are sponges for learning experiences. Every day there's some new experience that is happening and she's learning. And, and that's normal and you would expect it and progress and so on. What would happen if she became a teenager and suddenly she said, I don't want to eat solid food anymore. I want to go back having pureed food. What would you say? What would you think? Well, something's wrong. Something's not right. Growth is normal and natural and it's supposed to be what's happening and you're supposed to go on to maturity. Well, these Christians that the Hebrew author is writing to, they had made some progress, but now they've gone back to the pureed food. They've gone back to milk. They don't want solid food. They've lost their way. They've become dull of hearing. They've lost their motivation. They're lacking energy. There's something not right. And the author is writing to them very, a very serious, stern warning that you do need to move on because if you go backwards, then it'll be impossible to restore you to the faith and your end, because there is another life and there is a day of judgment, you will be held accountable. So that's the direction of where he wants to go and try to persuade them. So he says to them, <clears throat> the Bible reveals to us, uh, there are, we all have two appointments after death, resurrection 
and judgment. That's true of everybody. It's a universal destiny, a universal fate for all of us. Um, it's absolutely certain. Death is certain for all of us, but death is not the end. There are still two things to come, resurrection and judgment. There is one exception to the resurrection, <clears throat> that there'll be some people who won't experience a resurrection. Just like in the Old Testament, there were two characters, Enoch and Elijah. They didn't experience death. They were just a dra dramatically, uh, rapid, suddenly transformed from this life to the next. Um, so too at the end, when the Lord Jesus returns and the trumpet blasts and before his voice sounds, it says that those who are in Christ, who are followers of him, will not experience death, but we will be changed in an instant, twinkling of an eye, that will be transformed from this corruptible body, this physical existence, into a perfected body, another physical body, but glorified, incorruptible, immortal. And it'll be an instant thing, so we won't exactly experience death. They're the only exceptions. Everybody else, the normal, it is appointed under people wants to die. And then we cremate the body or bury it. And what happens at death? Well, the soul, the spirit, the non-material part of us separates from us and the body stays and we bury it or cremate it, as I said. But the spirit, the soul, where does it go? Well... Depending on if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus or not, you go to one of two places. So that's the sort of thing we want to talk about tonight. And the clue to that, there are some, some indications in the scriptures, some very clear ones of what happens. And we can answer some of the questions, but we have more questions than we have answers for. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 is a very helpful verse. Things that have been revealed, things God says in the Bible, belong to us and to our children. But the things that haven't been revealed belong to the Lord our God. God hasn't told us everything. We don't need to know what he hasn't told us. But he has told us enough. And there are clues, there are hints, but we have to be very careful in drawing conclusions from those because if it's not a clear statement of the scriptures, then we just need to be cautious and humble. One of the clues we do get, though, in answering these questions, what happens after you die? What happens before the resurrection? I want to talk about that, the intermediate state, the condition that we are in before the resurrection and then after that with the judgment. Uh, well, what happened to the Lord Jesus is what will happen to us. What happened to him? Well, he died. He was buried. His body was placed in a tomb. And he actually tells us what, and the scripture tells us, what happened to his soul, his spirit. You see, there are two parts to us. People get into all sorts of arguments about this, but generally, we all agree with this. We have an outward physical part that we can see, touch, and smell. It's our body. But we also have a non-material part to us. And the Bible uses different words, and there are distinctions. Spirit, soul, mind, heart. They're all part of this non-material thing. So, um, and so this non-material part to us is integrated with our physical part of us that we can see, feel, and everything else. And death is the separation of those two. The body we can see and we dispose of. What happens to this bit to us? So we have a brain, but our brain is not our mind, is it? 
Our mind is different. Our personality. The real you is this in this body, but the real you is... I don't have the words to describe it accurately, but it's like it's inside you. But it's not just inside you, it's you. It's, this is part of me, of who I am, who you are. And just like way back in the beginning, how did God make Adam? God made his body from the dust of the ground, shaped it, formed it. That's the physical part. Then what happened? Then God breathed into him the breath of life. That's the non-material part, the life of God living in us made in his image, like him in some way. Spirit, soul, mind, body, all of that. Um, and so death is the separation of those two things. And what happened to the Lord Jesus? He tells us, he tells us, when he died on the cross, he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, this is where you have to be very careful. Where's paradise? Well, back then it's different to where it is now. You can come and ask me questions about this later and I'll just, I'll answer them. I'll answer them all the same way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But you can come and ask your questions. When Jesus was here in his time, before his death and resurrection, paradise, in my opinion, was part of something called Hades. That's the grave. And my view, not everybody has this view, but my view is, uh, and the Hades is divided into two parts doesn't matter how you divide two sections. One is called paradise. That's where the righteous dead go, those who believe in God and follow God and trust him. They, when they die, their souls and spirits went there. There's another part to Hades, which is not where the righteous go, but where the unbelievers, the wicked, the evil go, the sinners, those who don't have God in their life, who haven't followed Jesus or followed God. And so there are these two parts. And if you read Luke 16, there's, Jesus tells a story it's not called a parable, it's called a story though. It's where Jesus says there was a rich man and he died and he went to Hades and he was in torment. And there was another man, a poor man, Lazarus, who used to be at his gate and he believed in God and when he died he went to paradise, he went to Abraham's bosom. These two different sections of Hades. So we, and this one was called paradise. So when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, as I understand it, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus is saying, after we die, you won't go to the part of Hades, part of the grave, which is for the unbelievers. You'll come to the part of the grave, which is for those who believe, paradise. And because Jesus died before the thief on the cross, Jesus was there before him. And so Jesus actually greeted him. It's a nice thought, isn't it? Just to think about. When Jesus rose from the dead, then in Matthew 27, there is a very strange verse, verse 52 and the following verse, which talks about after Jesus rose from the dead, the saints, some of the saints who were buried around Jerusalem were raised. After Jesus rose on Sunday, they were raised and they entered into Jerusalem, walked around and had conversations with people. It's a very unusual verse. What happened to them? <clears throat> well, I used to think that they were like Lazarus. They were just resuscitated to this life and they died and went back again. I now think maybe what happened is they were raised in their glorified bodies and that when Jesus ascended into heaven, we're not told this, just my summations, 
When Jesus ascended into heaven, they likewise ascended with him. What do you base that on? Well, a couple of things, but one of which is the, the teaching of Jesus as the first fruits of those who would rise from the dead. The first fruits analogy with the, you, one seed of wheat you put into the ground and when it dies, it becomes many, much fruit. So this is an indication of that, that Jesus was leading the way and he is the first fruits. <clears throat> That's an aside and not really important. But what happened to the Lord Jesus? He died, his body was in the tomb, his spirit went to paradise. He rose from the dead and he is the first. That his body came out of the tomb and it was transformed. He was in his glorified body, he is the first. And what happened to him is what will happen to us. If we are in Christ, if you're in paradise. And so when Jesus ascended to heaven, the belief is, and again, our biblical evidence for this is that. It's like one hint. So you can't be dogmatic and you can't be absolutely sure about it. But it does solve a problem. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he took paradise, this section of Hades, with him. So that now, after the death, resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus, if you're a Christian and when you die, your body will be in the grave or cremated, but your spirit, your soul, the non-material part of you will go to paradise to be with the Lord, the third heaven, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hope that makes sense. Hope I haven't confused everybody. So what happens to Jesus is basically what's going to happen to us. If you know the Lord Jesus, then life for you at the moment is what I would call good. When you die and you go into this disembodied state, your non-material part of you without a body, you are incomplete, completely forgiven, perfected if you like, without sin nature and any of those things anymore, that's gone. And you're in the Lord's presence, in where he is, heaven. But, and that's better. So this is good to be in Christ. That's better, but it's still not the best. The best is going to be after the resurrection when your body, which was cremated or buried or whatever we did with it, is raised and glorified and perfected and it's incorruptible and it's immortal. It's a perfect body. And it's reunited with your non-material part of you, your soul, spirit, mind, and everything else. And then that's the best. That's God's ultimate plan for us. So we need to keep these sorts of ideas in mind. What happened to Jesus is what's going to happen to us. Um, Just to recap, I guess, before I jump on. Death is a separation of body and the non-material part of us. The body goes into the ground. The non-material part of us goes to paradise if we follow Jesus. What if you don't follow Jesus? Well, the non-material part of you still survives death. Non-followers of the Lord Jesus, but they still go to Hades, the grave. But they go to this section, the other section, not paradise, but the other one where they are in torment. It's not hell because they will be taken out of Hades. Once you are in hell, there is no exit. It's eternal. There is no removal from hell. But there is from Hades. There is from the grave. And the Bible certainly uh, teaches us with confidence that people who have died and who have gone to Hades are 
able to recognise one another in Hades, that they were able to communicate, and that they have some sort of conscious existence, they have some sort of memory of life in this planet. The Bible gives us three illusions to establish that, but nothing much else. Um, and so in the resurrection, it's going to be done in these three phases. First, Jesus, second, then Christians, and then later, then non-Christians who, who don't follow Jesus. There is a very clear demarcation of not everybody being raised at the same time at a thing that's called a general resurrection, which is not a biblical term, but those who are raised to life are ahead of those who are raised to condemnation. Those who are raised um, to life will appear before Jesus for judgment at his judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ. Those who are raised to condemnation will appear before the great white throne. So believers do not appear before the great white throne and unbelievers do not appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The distinction in this eternal judgment, which the passage talks about, is that um, Christians are raised to life, glorified body and judged. It would appear that judgment follows resurrection. That we are not judged as soon as we die in our non-material existence. Uh, that we wait for our whole body because we are going to be judged according to the deeds done in the body. And so our body, it would appear, would need to be present for this judgment. But for Christians, it's to give an account for our works, for our service. We are not giving any... Um, account for our sin because our sin is completely dealt with. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and our sin is blotted out, it's removed from us. There is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. Well then what are we judged for? Well what did you do with the gifts that God gave you? What did you do with your life in serving and obeying him? And the judgment is to do with an evaluation for rewards and probably uh, for glory that there will be different degrees of glory in heaven, just as there are different degrees of punishment in hell. So we appear before him um, to be judged for our works and evaluated. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 certainly talks about uh, that some Christians will experience the suffering of loss, that they'll get in by the skin of their teeth, saved by grace because of their faith in Jesus, but very little or even maybe no reward. It's a serious truth that we need to have a perspective on as followers of the Lord Jesus. Uh, that it's not simply, I'll follow Jesus, now I can go do my own thing. No, there's a day of judgment coming, a day of accountability of those who have been given much, much is required. And we're certainly in that category. For the unbeliever, when they are raised and judged, they'll appear, not in the judgment seat of Christ, they'll appear before the great white throne and that is for the purpose of condemnation. That is for giving an account, not just of their sin, but primarily, what did you do with Jesus? Did you repent? Did you believe? Did you trust him? Why not? Depart from me, I never knew you. It's that scene of everything they have ever done, said, thought, all of their motivation, they will be called to account for. It'll be horrible. And then they'll be excluded from God's presence forever, remembering it's not an unending period of time. 
it's into an eternal state of perpetual present. I know that's it's difficult, it's impossible to understand. But it helps me cope with one of the, the problems, the difficulties of hell, the eternal punishment that God gives people is that it just goes on forever. It's the wrong way to think about it. It doesn't go on forever. It exists forever. There is no concept of time. It's either with God or without God. And it comes back to our choice. God doesn't make us follow him. It's God basically giving us what we wanted. You didn't want to follow me. You don't want to obey me. You want to live your life without me. Well, have it your way. Go over there to that place of punishment, of exclusion, of withdrawal from God's presence. That's what it is. As C.S. Lewis rather graphically describes, he says, the door to hell is sham slammed shut. And you can hear the bolts lock, but the bolts are on the inside. It's people wanting to say, God, I want nothing to do with you. And God says, have it your way. And they are excluded. His judgment, but based upon their choice. Whereas for us who are in Christ, we have chosen to respond and to accept his forgiveness. And then we will appear before him for judgment. And between now and then, what are we to do? Well, the author says we are to go on. We're to mature. We're to grow. We're not to become dull of hearing. Well, I'm not sure where you're at, but what if you're in that category? What if you accepted Jesus? You've repented. You've believed. You've got faith in God. You've demonstrated that by baptism. You've received the Holy Spirit and you're open to serving God. But you're tired and maybe you've got questions or maybe you're starting to drift. Um, what was once passionate for you is now, oh, I'm not sure anymore. I'm not as motivated, not as enthusiastic. What can you do? Well, <clears throat> the author to Hebrews would encourage us, and the scriptures certainly encourage us, um, to be aware that if this is your situation, if you're dull of hearing God's word, you're in a dangerous situation. There's something not right. And that what you need to do is to take steps to remedy that. That there is spiritual beings and forces around us, Satan particularly, will take away the word of God that is implanted in us. Matthew 13. That as we follow Jesus, it's like we're on the narrow way following him but the world, the flesh and the devil is like the broad way and it's going the other way. You're actually walking against the current of the world and its influences. And if you become dull in your spiritual disciplines, in your exercising and choices, then it's quite easy for you just to drift. And if you drift, you'll go with the tide and you'll go backwards. And as we've said before, going from being an infant to a teenager to an adult, but going backwards is very unhealthy. So too spiritually. So what can we do? Well, it's making a commitment, a decision of saying, Lord, I've grown dull in hearing or I'm struggling spiritually or whatever else. It's sharing that with somebody else and praying together. But ultimately, it's not just that, but it's making a choice. This is dangerous and I don't want to be like this. I want to improve. What can I do? 
invariably the work of God in somebody's life, in a person's life, is linked with scriptures. It's linked with the Bible. So it's God at work in us who takes the word of God and then he waits for our response to it. It's a commitment to this, not just to read it, but to obey it, to learn and to obey. And then doing that on a regular basis, that's a spiritual discipline, which helps you stay the course. So there's personal commitment and the scriptures. But there's also then fellowship with and honest accountability with other believers, as well as the trials and experiences of life that God exposes us to, that grows us, strengthens us. It's painful, it's difficult, and all of those things. But it actually makes us stronger followers, more reliant on him. So how, if I'm spiritually dull, what can I do? Read your Bible and ask God to open your eyes. Commit yourself, Lord, whatever you say to me in this book, I will believe and I will do. That was one of the secrets of Billy Graham's great success in ministry. The Bible says. I think it was him, and if not, it was D.L. Moody, one of them. I think it was Billy Graham, who had done some Bible college training, and he took the Bible, and, and whatever the college was he was at, they, they had some teaching which was asking all sorts of questions and creating doubts about, is the Bible really true, and is it accurate, and is it the Word of God? And he took his Bible, and he went into the woods... He found a stump and he put his Bible on the stump and he knelt down and he said, Lord, from this day, that book, the Bible, is your infallible word. I believe it. Whatever people say, I believe what you say is true and I will teach that and I will obey it. And that was the secret, I think, to his ministry. Academics and scholars could come up with all sorts of reasons why what the Bible says there is not true. And Billy Graham would simply say, the Bible says. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And that's where we need to get to as followers of the Lord Jesus, that we are not just Bible carriers, we're Bible readers. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word I have hid in my heart. Memorize it so that I won't sin against you, so that I won't get off track. Preparing for our resurrection, preparing for the next state. 1 Timothy 4.7, I can finish with that. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who was a senior pastor of a church at Ephesus, and he simply says to him, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. What's that? No, it's making a commitment and sticking to it. Make a commitment. Discipline yourself to be readers of God's word, practitioners of obeying God's word, just doing what it says. And if you read it and don't understand it, ask learn, inquire. Nobody knows everything, but we all learn by sharing together. I learn by talking to others, by reading books about it, by inquiring, asking questions. We all learn the same way. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, you are the God who exists in eternity, outside time. And you're the God who is going to take us into eternity. Meanwhile, Lord, in this life, could you help us to prepare for that? To be diligent and to be motivated and to be growing, moving forward, 
moving forward in our relationship and understanding of who you are, moving forward in our commitment and service. Lord, help us to have these foundations in our life, to repent and to believe in you, to be baptised not just in water but in your spirit, to use our hands, laying on of hands in terms of service and looking forward to the resurrection and our eternal evaluation. Lord, your will be done in each of our lives, I pray. Amen. Trust this wheeze is true.